0: Welcome to the TheJournal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what's happening with Donald Trump's impeachment? I am 35 years old. It's a bit of a strange age. It's not young, but it's certainly not old either. It's kind of an in-betweeny age. What's that got to do with the price of eggs, you ask? Well, I was thinking out loud the other day about how I'm heading into my third impeachment of a US president albeit of only two presidents, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. But is impeachment rare enough then, if in my 35, what I'm gonna call short years, we're already at three? Could that turn into a more common part of the real life US political drama than it should? In saying that though, this impeachment was inevitable given the events on the 6th of January, where across the world we all watched Trump supporters storm the Capitol building, wreaking havoc after coming to DC to see their then president give an address that morning. I often do need a refresher, though, on how the whole thing goes down, even though I'm now into my third one of my life. And lucky for us, we are heading into Trump Impeachment 2.0. We have Larry Donnelly back on the Explainer to find out exactly where we're at and where we could end up with this impeachment. Thanks so much, Larry, for joining us.
1: Great to be with you, Sinead.
0: As I said there, I often need a reminder, even though we're heading into the third of my lifetime, how does a president get impeached in America?
1: Well, the applicable provisions of the United States Constitution vest in the House of Representatives the power to impeach the president, the vice president, and other civil officials of the United States uh, for treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. Tellingly, uh, no federal official has ever been uh, impeached for treason. Only three have been impeached for bribery. Uh, The others have been impeached uh, 15 or 16 others have been impeached for what are labeled high crimes and misdemeanors, uh, which don't have any real meaning uh, as a matter of uh, law. A real specific definition uh, as a matter of law today. Back at the when the United States Constitution was framed, high crimes uh, were generally meant to be um, crimes committed by public officials, but. This is a, an area of, of vagary, and ultimately, a, a determination as to what high crimes and misdemeanors are uh, is a political determination inherently as to what rises to that level. It's a quite ambiguous frame, uh, and in terms of uh, your your allusion in the introduction as to how it might be abused or overused, uh, I certainly think that the door is opened in a highly splintered, uh, you know, fractious political culture that exists in the United States. So where we are today is again. This is the second go-around for Donald Trump. The first dates back to his dealings with Ukrainian President Zelensky uh, in, in 2019. This new one now uh, revolves around the events uh, of January 6, 2021, uh, on Capitol Hill, and it amounts to an incitement to insurrection uh, article against the president.
0: So that is the high crime that he's been charged with.
1: Yes, that's the high. That's the high crime uh, in this case. Uh, And again, just to to note, one of the things uh, about the the process is that it does not necessarily have to be criminal conduct per se. Uh, There are statutes, federal and and local statutes, uh, which make incitement a a criminal offense, but it does not have to be rise to the level necessarily uh, of criminal criminal conduct uh, for it to be an impeachable offense. Uh, And indeed, the other point to make is that uh, individual members of the House and of the Senate set their own burden of proof. There is no standard beyond a reasonable doubt, a a preponderance of the evidence or whatever it might be. There is no set standard. I mean, it's really down uh, to the consciences uh, and ultimately to the political calculus uh, of the members of the House and Senate.
0: Yeah. So going back to the first impeachment of Trump, he was impeached by the House, but not convicted in the Senate. But we still count that as impeachment. Can you just delve into that a little bit and explain why that is?
1: Sure. Uh, Impeachment is the equivalent uh, of, at old common law, something that happens in the United States still regularly, of an indictment. That is uh, that there's probable cause to proceed uh, with a criminal trial based on the evidence that has been presented. Uh, That is uh, what happens in the House. The House indicts. It's a finding, really, of probable cause to proceed with a criminal trial, and it requires only a simple majority of the membership of the House of Representatives. Now, in that instance, just like in previous instances, uh, there were considerable investigations uh, that predated the first uh, Trump impeachment. That is investigations at that time into the president's phone conversation with President Zelensky uh, in this idea of whether there was a quid pro quo, this idea of uh, the allegation was that the president uh, had withheld aid to Ukraine until the president uh, of Ukraine would announce that there would be an investigation into the activities of Joe Biden and his son Hunter uh, in the Ukraine, allegedly corrupt uh, activities, and that only when the the investigation was announced would the military aid be released. So there were considerable investigations into all of that and all that surrounded it. uh, And indeed, one of the counts uh, that followed in the impeachment then was that the Trump administration uh, had obstructed Congress by refusing to cooperate and, uh, you know, telling lies, et cetera, et cetera, uh, in the course of that. So that's the major distinguishing point between that impeachment. That was a more traditional impeachment because you had committees investigating and taking votes and holding hearings and all sorts of other things. This one is quite different in that uh, there were no investigations, there were no hearings. We jumped jumped straight into uh, an impeachment vote in the House of Representatives, and notably on this occasion, 10 Republicans uh, effectively jumped ship uh, on the president uh, and voted with uh, the Democrats to indict uh, and impeach uh, then-President Donald Trump.
0: Yes, there was 10 in favor of it, but that left a lot of Republicans still voting against impeachment. Was that a accurate reflection of how Republicans in the main uh, saw this process, or what? What's the actual divide in the party?
1: Uh, I think that if you look at the if you look at the polling, uh, at least at that point in time, I think it was a reasonably accurate reflection uh, of where grassroots Republicans. Uh, were, uh, that they stood by the president, you know, even despite everything that they had seen and heard, uh, that an awful lot of them didn't uh, have the same visceral reaction that a lot of us, uh, you know, around the world, I think in particular, had uh, to the events uh, that unfolded uh, on Capitol Hill. Uh, And again, I think it's important to note that this is a political determination as much as anything else. And whatever about Donald Trump, the person whose stock, I believe, Uh, has fallen massively as a result of what happened on January 6th. Uh, Donald Trump's message has really resonated with grassroots Republicans, uh, and uh, congressional Republicans know that. They know that Donald Trump has rebranded conservatism in a light very favorable to uh, the Republican Party. I think the election results show that in many ways. So they were unwilling, I think, to cross swords with that uh, and I think that they probably reflected uh, where most Republicans were at the time. That is, a small majority uh, wanted really to, to go after Trump and believed he, to, he deserved comeuppance, uh, whereas others took a more benign view.
0: And believe, believe that he deserved comeuppance for the act itself, that the high, the high crime he's charged with, or as a result of his four-year tenure in the White House?
1: Uh, I think primarily, well, if you look at what happened, you know, if you look at the, the, the rock solid support he enjoyed up until uh, that time, even as, uh, you know, his challenges to the results uh, in November became increasingly less credible, uh, Republicans uh, elected officials pretty steadfastly stood by him. The 6th of January, uh, in my view, w- was a game changer. I think it changed uh, the dynamics in so many ways. Uh, above all, I think it changed uh, the amount of influence that I believe Donald Trump will be able to exert personally uh, over the Republican Party and his status uh, as a player. Uh, I think that that emboldened some Republicans, in the, the, you know, among that 10 who voted the way they did. Uh, I think there was obviously some legitimate, quite personal outrage at what happened. But politically speaking, I think it made it a lot easier for them uh, to move to the other side. That having been said, uh, we do hear uh, about moves, for instance, to strip Liz Cheney, uh, the most high profile of those 10 uh, of her leadership positions. Uh, we hear murmurs of potential primary challenges to those who supported impeachment. Uh, so it's not over yet.
0: So what happens next in the actual impeachment? When will we expect a trial in the Senate? How long will it take? Um, what results are we looking at?
1: Well, the you know the, the one article of impeachment Uh, has, you know, ceremoniously been delivered uh, to the United States Senate. That is this incitement to insurrection charge. Um, Now, what's happening uh, And the Senate has been sworn in as a jury. Um, On this instance, it won't be the chief justice of the United States, John Roberts, who would preside uh, in the trial if it were a sitting president. Because Donald Trump is the former president, Uh, we'll have the president pro tem that is the longest serving member of the majority party in the United States Senate, Pat Leahy. uh, He will provide not the Irish Times journalist, a different Pat Leahy. Uh, He will preside over uh, the trial in the Senate. So that is all the the formalities uh, in in one sense are out of the way. Uh, President Trump's defense team uh, which is quite low profile on this occasion, uh, will be assembling uh, and putting together its defense and you know, p- putting together relevant documents and a brief. Uh, meanwhile, the House managers, those who will be prosecuting the impeachment uh, trial, they're readying their case. Uh, we can expect all of this to begin the week after next. That is the week of February 8th uh, is when this will begin. Now, the estimates for this trial uh, you know, uh, saying that they, it won't be as long as the last one, which was 21 days, or previous ones were stretched on for weeks or even months, um, but that it will still take uh, a couple of weeks to uh, get through, that they would expect it to be done by the end of February. To be frank, uh, I think that that's an outside uh, estimate. I, I can't really see it taking uh, all that long for a variety of different reasons, principally because it boils down to the events that unfolded over a few hours on one day. But at any rate, um, the trial will begin the week uh, of the 8th of February. Uh, and again, uh, it will be fascinating to see the arguments and counter arguments made by the managers and Trump's defense team.
0: Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. is Can this be widened out or will there be any appetite from either side to widen it out to events that didn't just happen on the 6th of January? Will, will we look at things that Trump was tweeting long before before then?
1: This, now, here's where we get into uh, uh, some legalistic points. You know, certainly I think that the House managers will look to uh, some of Donald Trump's rhetoric uh, prior to January 6th. That is uh, things he said. I think he used the word fight on multiple occasions in his tweets in the weeks and days leading up to the 6th of January. Uh, and Democrats will will seek to hammer that home However, if you look at the definition of incitement, and again, uh, this won't be as legalistic proceeding as if uh, it were an actual trial in a courtroom. Uh, However, uh, if you look at the definition of incitement as a matter of law, uh, it requires that the incitement be imminent. That is, that it um, imminently precede the harm or whatever happens as a result of the incitement. That will be a, a point of argument that Trump's defense team will make when and if this arises, that is, whatever he may have said uh, in the weeks and days prior, uh, prior to that date, it wasn't imminent enough. The use of language wasn't imminent, imminent enough. So I suspect um, that the arguments will focus in ultimately on what happened uh, on January 6th. Um, that having been said, uh, I think that probably the Trump's defense team will focus as much as anything on whether the uh, process has constitutional legitimacy, because we're not talking about a sitting president, we're talking about a former president. And secondly, um, the practicalities here. What is the practical reason for uh, convicting a former president? You know, given that the country has lots of other challenges, it's wounded, et cetera. What is the practical reason for doing this? And again, because it's a, a political, not entirely legal affair, that one that that line of argument has resonance both in the Senate and with the broader American public, who will equally be making that argument too.
0: That question mark over what imminent could mean in these proceedings reminds me of a certain semantic argument over what sexual relations meant in the Bill Clinton impeachment. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But is this the best defense for Donald Trump um, and his team to look at? Because, you know, the public did turn against the impeachment of Bill Clinton because they thought it was frankly none of their business. So could the public also turn against this impeachment, if the defense uses this technicality well, you know, really make it clear to the public that time spent on this is a waste of time that could be used in a better way to deal with things like the COVID nineteen pandemic.
1: Uh, I think th- I think that that's part of it. Yeah, I think that that's a, a significant element of it. The other element here, Sinead, is in terms of individual Republican senators, who most of whom, uh, you know, most senators. Uh, have their eyes on the White House or making a dream of the presidency at one stage or have ambitions for all sorts of different things. And I think in terms of where they stand, we saw uh, just this week, we saw a vote already, which was issued in by Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky. uh, And this was effectively, should we dismiss this trial out of hand because um, the president is now a private citizen and its constitutional uh, legitimacy is questionable. And on that, we saw Uh, Just five uh, Republican senators join uh, with the Democrats in opposing uh, the motion to dismiss uh, the trial or or a would-be motion to dismiss the trial. Forty-five of the other other Republicans all stood fast uh, with the president, uh, including Mitch McConnell, who had signaled uh, that he might be willing to convict. But what I think has happened here is the Republican senators have found something to cling on to, and that is they're not making this vote about the merits of what President Trump did, uh, that is by inciting the crowd uh, on Capitol Hill. Their vote uh, against conviction won't be on those grounds. Instead, it will be on the ground uh, that this trial is of dubious constitutional legitimacy, uh, and that as a practical matter, uh, it's unadvisable Uh, in the current circumstances. This is where I think a lot of Republicans uh, are going to hang their hats. Uh, And this is why I think that the chances of conviction uh, are extremely remote. To the extent to which they can convince the American people uh, that this is a valid argument and and evoke some, uh, I suppose, support for that, then all the better uh, for the Republican Party and all the better for uh, Trump's allies within the Republican Party.
0: You mentioned Mitch McConnell there, and he's a name that most people will be familiar with. But can you explain to us first who he is and the power he holds and why he is so important to this outcome, where his vote lands does tell us a lot. Why is
1: that? Well, I mean, Mitch McConnell, I think, is the consummate. Uh, Washington insider. What I say to people here when they ask me, uh, you know, wh- who's Mitch McConnell? And I, I say, you know, you see poli- the political insider in the, d- in the dictionary. Uh, Mitch McConnell's picture is next to that. Uh, and the reason why is he has been uh, on the, in the United States Senate for decades, since the early 1980s. Uh, and in that time, uh, he devoted, he dedicated himself really to learning the labyrinthine uh, rules of procedure uh, in the United States Senate. Uh, he was chair of the Rules Committee and held various other uh, positions of increasing responsibility uh, and really learned the institution and its ways uh, inside and out. And whether he was a, in, a, in, a, in reason, more recent years, whether he was in the minority or the majority, uh, he exerted that power and the fact that he had a very safe seat Uh, in Kentucky, despite being one of the most unpopular politicians in the U.S., uh, his seat has been absolutely safe uh, in Kentucky. He's wielded tremendous influence, uh, particularly in the area of uh, judicial appointments. Uh, We saw, for instance, when Barack Obama, uh, more than a year before the conclusion of his presidency, sought to nominate Merrick Garland to the United States Supreme Court, uh, that Mitch McConnell almost single-handedly was able to prevent uh, that appointment uh, from happening. But on the other hand, we saw Mitch McConnell help you know his erstwhile ally, uh, Donald Trump, recreate the United States federal judiciary from the U.S. Supreme Court all the way down to uh, federal district court level to reshape the American federal judiciary in the image and likeness Of the conservative movement and of evangelical Christians uh, in particular. The repercussions of that are going to be felt for decades uh, to come. So McConnell is a serious power player. Now, where he fits in now, uh, he has nowhere near the same significance he would have had uh, had Democrats not won those two by elections in Georgia. Uh, And as I wrote in the journal recently, uh, I think that's the real reason why McConnell has turned on Donald Trump. Uh, I think McConnell blames Trump, and I think he's right. McConnell blames Trump for those two losses uh, in Georgia. And by virtue of those two losses, McConnell was stripped of the only title he's ever cared about, which was majority leader uh, of the United States Senate. Uh, I don't think, I think McConnell's so cynical that he's not even all that bothered deep down by what happened on the Capitol. But at any rate, he has turned, he turned at least for a time uh, on the president and his signaling on the impeachment trial uh, was very interesting. His vote uh, more recently, however, that basically he would dismiss this trial because of its constitutional dubiousness, that makes that gives me pause as to what he's going to do in the trial. But at any rate, at the conclusion of the trial, if McConnell does vote uh, to convict, uh, he still is powerful. He still is the leader of the party. Uh, that may uh, embolden some other Republicans' Uh, to come along with him uh, and vote to convict. At this stage, I rate that uh, a very uh, doubtful position in light of the vote he has cast uh, on the quasi-motion to dismiss uh, the impeachment trial.
0: Let's just stick with that, though. So if he, if it does happen, that small, slim chance is there that he is convicted. What then happens for Donald Trump? What are his options in politics um, that are left for him? Can he run for elected office again?
1: Well, first, after the after the after he were he to be convicted, uh, they would have to decide to hold a subsequent vote uh, on um, whether to uh, to bar him from seeking federal office again. Uh, if they were to do that, a simple majority uh, would suffice. So I believe they would hold the vote. And if he were convicted, uh, that I, I do believe that Donald Trump uh, would be prevented uh, from running for any federal office uh, in the United States. Uh, ever again. And just as a very quick uh, sidebar, I think it's fascinating to note um, that there is uh, a, a federal judge, Alcee Hastings, who was once uh, impeached uh, and removed, uh, from, uh, removed from his uh, position by vote of conviction in the US Senate. The Senate declined then to vote to, to bar him from running for any federal office. They declined to hold that vote. And now we can talk about Congressman. Al C. Hastings, who's still sitting in the United States House of Representatives and actually voted to impeach uh, Donald Trump on the first occasion. Sadly, he's still sitting in the Congress, but is suffering from pancreatic cancer, didn't vote uh, to impeach Donald Trump again. But I think it's a fascinating historical footnote of how these arcane rules and processes uh, can take root. But if Donald Trump is uh, removed, uh, is, is, is convicted in the Senate, uh, then he will be barred, in my view, almost definitely uh, from seeking federal any federal office ever again. He can run for mayor of New York or governor of New York or Florida, whatever, if he would like. Uh, but that is the end of his, uh, I suppose, uh, future as an elected official in the United States.
0: And if he's not convicted, will he run again? Could you see a 2024 Trump campaign?
1: At this stage, it's very hard to know. Uh, my my suspicion tells me that uh, I, I, I can't see it. And the reason why is uh, there's an old maxim that, you know, there's nothing deader than yesterday's politician. And in my view, Donald Trump looks set to buck that trend uh, and remain a serious power player uh, before January 6th. Uh, I think that that really has changed the equation. I think as time goes by, uh, and as people uh, look at things in a more reflective manner and consider uh, the presidency, and I think with, especially within the Republican Party, uh, I'm not so sure uh, that the steam is still there uh, for him to, uh, you know, of course he can run, but for him to build that same level of support again, uh, I think it's a tall order uh, for him to do it. I, what I think is more likely and what I think Republicans will be hoping for uh, is. Uh, I suppose uh, someone who can come along and take elements of that winning political message, because make no mistake, 74 million votes don't lie. Uh, The Trump message has some resonance. What I think Republicans will be hoping for uh, is to uh, repackage elements of that message uh, and find uh, a new, fresher face. Uh, to put a kinder, gentler version uh, of Trumpism forward. I think that's what the party will do. Now, no one can control Donald Trump. He's a force of nature. Uh, I'm one of many who's ruled him out, down and out on many occasions beforehand. I'm loath to do it again. But at this stage, uh, I think he faces an uphill climb.
0: Could one of those replacement Trumpism candidates be a Trump? Could it be someone who's already in his family, already in his uh, stable? Or is it someone outside of that, who just borrows, as he has done from a lot of other former uh, political campaigners, uh, the ways of work?
1: Yeah, I I think it's I think it's more likely that it will be somebody outside uh, the Trump family. I think that there would be uh, extraordinary scrutiny on the likes of Donald Trump Jr. or Ivanka or whoever might come forward. Uh, I just, uh, you know, again, the way politics has been upended in recent years, I'm hesitant to say anything uh, with absolute certainty, but I just don't see that emerging uh, as uh, a plausible scenario. Uh, what I think is more likely is that uh, again, um, there's a, a different face on it, and the question becomes, uh, you know, whether you know Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, who I think uh, have gone very, very far in the direction of reverencing Donald Trump, uh, and probably pushed the boat out too far. Whether either one of them whose names had been mentioned prominently uh, as potential 2024 nominees, whether they are, uh, you know, the people who can take up the Trump mantle. Uh, I think Mike Pence, uh, you know, who, as I said in the journal recently, I think is, you know, trying to be sort of a halfway house, that person who was a, you know, a, a partner in government with Donald Trump, but wouldn't cross the line when the, when the time came to it, that, you know, whether he's that sort of halfway point, you know, he's a Trump loyalist, but he's not willing to, throw a convention, the constitution out uh, in blind defense, whether there's an appeal there. Or uh, in my view, uh, if the Republicans are smart and the Republicans are strategic, to me, uh, Nikki Haley uh, makes by far the most sense uh, to be uh, a successor to Donald Trump. She's somebody who served in the Trump administration uh, as as US ambassador to UN. She was governor of South Carolina. Uh, She's a woman of color. Uh, she would be, uh, I think, a very, very powerful messenger uh, with some repackaged elements uh, of the Trump message, especially in a context in which it could well be the case uh, that her opponent in 24 or the Democratic nominee uh, in 2024 uh, will be Kamala Harris or could be Kamala Harris.
0: For, for those people, would a conviction of Trump help her hinder uh, the possible you know, taking of his throne?
1: Well, I think you know, from a from a realpolitik point of view, um, if Trump is convicted, he's gone. You know, he's out of the picture, uh, and that that potential threat of his mounting a candidacy, uh, you know, and again, I should say. Even even if Trump mounts a candidacy, I still think you know th- there's a segment there who would still vote for him. How big it is, I'm not so sure. But there's still a, a decent uh, component to the party who would vote for him if Trump is convicted and you know r- barred from seeking office again. Then obviously it, it opens the door, uh, you know, w- more more broadly for um, those would be successors and perhaps um, you know again because the, the, some are so loyal to Trump's message and to the hotter elements of it, uh, then maybe Cruz or, or Josh Hawley is still uh, right there uh, with a the shot. Um, you know, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, the other interesting part of all this, uh, and, I, you know, I, I question myself, the media in the United States especially uh, has given the, the Never Trump campaign and the tradition, the Never, Never Trump movement um, and traditional Republican conservatism has given them an awful lot of oxygen what I'm wondering is, do they have it in them? Is there enough there, um, to, you know, to to mount a challenge, to, to to I suppose, put forward a candidate, um, you know, who's uh, who who stands against the Trump message, who stands against Trumpism, uh, and if there's a viable path to victory uh, for someone uh, of that mode or in that in that uh, school of thought. Um, That's the other thing to to watch for. I I think all in all, what we're looking at here is an uncertain future because nobody knows exactly uh, how this is going to break. And the key key question is, to what extent is the the Donald Trump appeal? To what extent is it down to his persona? To what extent is it down to his message and messaging? Those are the great unknowns uh, that we can only see, I think, uh, when Trump is a little bit further removed. Uh, from the playing field uh, and how far removed he is uh, will, I suppose, be dictated in large part by what happens in the, impeachment, in the impeachment trial.
0: Yeah. Listening to you, is it actually going to become more difficult for Republicans to make that decision if in the more likely scenario he's not convicted and they have to decide whether they're comfortable keeping him within their ranks or comfortable with keeping him outside their ranks? Because both create problems for them, right? More problems than solutions.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no easy answer to that. And, I, you know, I know in, in recent weeks there have been murmurs that Trump would uh, form his own party, this so-called Patriot Party or some other vehicle. Uh, his close advisor Stephen Miller, uh, has very strongly rebutted those claims. Uh, and it's said that Donald Trump is committed to remaining within the Republican Party, um, so they may be stuck with him. Uh, and what he may do, what he may do, because we do know that he's vengeful, uh, what he may do is dedicate himself uh, between now and 2022 uh, to uh, gaining retribution uh, on those Congress people uh, and potentially senators uh, who go against uh, his will uh, on the uh, on impeachment or indeed those who he perceives to have let him down, people like uh, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, uh, and other Republicans around the country. Uh, If he's bloody minded enough, uh, you know, he still exerts some hold uh, on things, but you know, the, the, the reality here is that if the Republican Party had its way, um, they'd make Donald Trump vanish. They, they'd forget they'd forget all about him, uh, take what worked and move on. Uh, but, you know, that's that, that's what we just don't know is, um, you know, how long is he going to hang on? How long is the energy going to be there uh, to hang on uh, and how long uh, are people that were devoted to him? How long are they going to retain that devotion? And that's where my little sense. Uh, of you know what's always happened with politicians is you know memories fade, um, you know, things fade as time goes on. People forget. Uh, other people come to the fore and come to prominence. Yesterday's politicians slowly but surely uh, fade away as they are out of the limelight. Um, you know, and again, it's anybody's qu- you, you, as I said. Trump looks set to buck that trend. You know whether he will or not, I don't know.
0: Yeah, so the, then that leads me back to the vote in the Senate. So if the Republican Party know really in their in their core that it's better for them to get rid of the Trump name from the Republican Party, they're just then looking at an impeachment vote. The only reason that they wouldn't vote for, to impeach and to convict would be ideological. Would be well, I don't convict a Republican president
1: well, or 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 it would be down to to fear of what the grassroots would make of it. You know, again, in the shorter term, uh, the grassroots, you know, there's the still loyalty there, um, you know, in the short term. And that's why this is complex. And if I sound like I'm contradicting myself, it is because, uh, you know, nobody knows what the future holds in store. Um, the, uh, but in the shorter term, a lot of them will say, look, uh, when I go home uh, and I speak to the party faithful, uh, they're on to me that Donald Trump did great things. Donald Trump brought our party to this place and to that place. Uh, he doesn't deserve to be, uh, he doesn't deserve to be convicted in the Senate. Why would you do such and such a thing? Uh, I think a lot of them will be hearing that. And the, the neat duck that lots of them can make uh, is to, ha- to hang it on uh, the, con- the concerns about constitutional legitimacy uh, and or practicality. Um, so that's what I think the short-term expedient thing will be to do. Your point about um, voting to take Trump out and getting rid of him, uh, I think that's very fair. And I think from uh, a point of view of those who are ambitious, particularly, particularly like uh, Holly and Cruz and others, um, you know, there, there's a part of them that surely would say this is one way to do it. Uh, but perception, how that's perceived, uh, at least initially by grassroots, probably mitigates against that.
0: That's exactly the answer I needed. Thanks, Larry. (laughs) Uh, One last question, because we actually haven't mentioned the actual president. What's Joe Biden going to do and say through all of this uh, drama?
1: Well, I I think he's, you know, he's gone on record uh, on saying that, you know, look, he's committed to to his agenda. Uh, On the other hand, he thinks that this has to happen. Uh, for all sorts of reasons. I think that, and and I think that he's right. I think if you look at the opinion polling, let's leave aside the Republican Party, let's look at the broader electorate. Uh, The broader electorate were appalled by what happened uh, on January 6th and by the president's role in it. Uh, And his approval ratings absolutely plummeted uh, as a result, down to about 30% uh, on the time he left, left office. So Biden, I think, you know, is wise to delegate this, this is Chuck Schumer and and, and Democrats in the Senate's job, uh, and let them do it, acknowledge that it's the right thing to do, but say very little otherwise, uh, and instead, uh, focus on his own presidency. Uh, first, I think, in terms of combating COVID, we also know he's got uh, an economic stimulus package, which is going to be uh, difficult to get through Congress to get those things done. Uh, and then crucially, uh, in my view, uh, to dedicate himself fully uh, to an infrastructure bill that Donald Trump promised way back in 2016 uh, and never delivered on. An infrastructure bill is very badly needed in the United States where the roads, bridges, et cetera, uh, are crumbling uh, and investment is badly needed. That infrastructure bill would, would do uh, wonders, I think, uh, on, a, on a straightforward, uh, justifiable point of view, but also politically in the sense that you'd see very few uh, Republicans and Democrats taking issue with that fact. And also Also, it would put back to work uh, an awful lot of people who are struggling, including an awful lot of people uh, who've lost their livelihoods uh, because of COVID-19. I think that is a political winner uh, for Joe Biden. I think it's a uniter. I think it's a unifier, something he spoke about in his address. And I think it would be a very, very good note to get his administration off to a start on, uh, the idea being that uh, he can work across the aisle. There are things that we can't agree on. This is what the Biden presidency is going to be about. It's going to be about putting aside, putting in the rearview mirror quickly what happened the last few years and working together to the extent we can for the future of the country. He can't do that on every issue, but I think this is one uh, that he certainly can. And that would be priority one if I were advising Biden.
0: Yeah, he seems to have a certain amount of freedom, which only politicians who don't worry about a next election have, doesn't he?
1: I think so. I mean, I you know, look, uh, I would be astonished if Joe Biden sought a, a, a second term. I would be equally astonished uh, if he told anybody that uh, until the very, very last possible minute because he doesn't want to be a lame duck. Uh, but I certainly think he does. And I think his is a different type of presidency and if you look at uh where we are in the united states right now uh and you ask i think uh, you know anybody republican or democrat you know without in private if you ask them who is best situated to be president of the united states right now you'd have to look hard to find somebody better than joe biden i mean let's not forget joe biden is a democrat he's a democrat who like his party has moved left over the years But he's also the quintessential institutionalist uh, in that he was in the Senate for decades. There are still a number of Republican senators he served with who, while they don't agree on everything, uh, I think there's some mutual respect there. Who's not averse, like Barack Obama was, to going to Capitol Hill, doing deals, doing what's necessary to get things done. Uh, And I think more broadly in terms of the American people, uh, who's a likable respected person. And I think American people like and respect him because they recognize uh, how much he's been through uh, in his own life in terms of uh, losing his wife, his first wife, losing a child, losing another Uh, son later in life and then having a son uh, who's battled with addiction and other issues just like so many people uh, in that vast and amorphous entity uh, middle america i think joe biden is somebody the american people can identify with and i think at this stage in time uh, all of his weaknesses aside and there are many but at this point in time uh, he's probably just what the uh, what the doctor ordered for the united states
0: and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again in the future, probably about impeachment or, or conviction and uh, how Biden is getting on after those first 100 days. Thanks so much, Larry, for coming in and explaining all of that to us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Larry for joining us again on this episode. If you enjoyed this chat and learned something, we have loads more for you. Check out our back catalogue where you'll find other shows on Donald Trump, the coronavirus and a lot more. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying the episodes, please, please, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.